From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and I finally got my podcast recording tech sorted, at least temporarily, so I thought it would be fun to shake some of the rust off with the big leads Ryan Glassbeagle. And warning, I was pretty rusty. Uh, but before getting to the call with Ryan, where we talk about uh, some of our media habits, and uh, we also squeezed in some talk about High Noon moving to 4 p.m. and ESPN+. Plus. But before getting to that, uh, before taping with Ryan, I tweeted out that, that I had let my athletic subscription lapse. And uh, Richard Deitch chimed in that it was ironic I tweeted that out on a day he'd mentioned me in his media column. He had linked uh, to Ryan's Glass Half Empty podcast from August 8th with me and Patrick Crakes. And uh, I was in the midst of writing Richard a long explanation, but I wound up sending him this email instead. Subject line, apologies. Richard, if you were thinking, no matter what else Robert thought about The Athletic, if he didn't think I was worth the $50, fuck him. I don't blame you. I don't blame you if you think that at all. I could write at least 500 words on why that's not so, but being honest, I definitely didn't put myself in your shoes first. And uh, now that I have... I don't think the 500 words would sway me. Uh, So to avoid doubling down on being a knucklehead, I just resubscribed under your author code. And uh, I'm going to hold a contest on Twitter to give a gift account away under your author code. I very much regret not putting myself in your shoes first. I should have, and I'm very sorry that I didn't. On the call with Ryan, Richard, I am sorry. On the call with Ryan, uh, I apologize for the rest, and I definitely will try to do better next time. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and I am back with the podcast thing, and joining me today is Ryan Glassbeagle of The Big Lead and the Glass Half Empty podcast, and today Ryan and I are just going to talk about sort of our habits for watching sports media and reading sports media and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, so Ryan, uh, I'll start off because, because I, have, I have less of any of this stuff than most people. So first of all, uh, on the internet front... The only social media thing I use at all is Twitter, unless you count uh, email. Uh, I will click from Twitter to links on Instagram and Facebook, but I don't actually use those services. Uh, I don't use Slack. I don't use Instagram. Uh, Lord knows I do. Yeah, well, Slack Slack is one thing I think I would probably enjoy if if uh, you know if I work somewhere. But in the absence of that, and I know it's a it's a time sink for people, uh, so so I, I did want to bring that up. Um, so, you know, my, and my, my TV viewing habits generally, at least as far as sports media go, I watch a ton of, uh, of San Francisco Giants baseball, uh, and I watch uh, quite a bit of the, the pre and post game. You had talked about, uh, you know, in your, in your extra innings package that you, you lament that they, they, they cut away, uh, you know, t- they cut away and end the games like as soon as the post game starts. So you don't get to see any of the post game interviews. That's the one thing that's actually locked me into my UVerse bundle uh, inside there. You know, whatever tier gets you red zone. They also include, you know, most of the RSNs. It doesn't include some of them like Masson, uh, but it's, but it's got it's got most of them. And while all the games are blacked out, all the pre and post games are available. So like I get uh, NBC uh, sports San Francisco Bay Area, uh, even in El Paso, Texas. And so I can watch the Giants pre and post game that way. And, and I do enjoy that. And uh, uh, TV wise, uh, other, you know, this summer, I've, it's, it's been all over the place, mostly baseball, have watched a lot of golf when Tiger Woods is playing like this weekend. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I watched uh, every shot he played yesterday. 
Um, and I probably will check out some of the, I, I'm not ashamed to admit, I will check out some of the Little League World, World Series. But otherwise, I'm just waiting for college football and NFL. Um, and Ryan, you have a long list of things you subscribe to and social media services you use. Rattle them off. All right. So for if Slack counts as social media, I spend a lot of time in Slack. Our um, Swiss Army Knife, Michael Schamberger, is the producer of my podcast. Anytime you see on the big weed anything that's been photoshopped, he made it. Anything that is audio or video that's been produced, he did it. He also covers golf. Um, he got us on Slack two or three years ago, and initially I wasn't very happy about it. The way we used to communicate as a site before that was you would just have a long running email chain. And if you were taking off for the afternoon or it was Saturday and you worked Sunday, you would still be having your phone buzz all day. So it has replaced work email for us almost entirely. And that was a good decision for social media. I spend all day on Twitter. Sometimes I wish I didn't, but if you miss something, it's gone forever. And I feel like I need to stay on top of the proverbial conversation. And you never know when the equivalent of like a Woj bomb or an Oran bomb last week about Sports Nation getting canceled and right. high noon is going to hit. And even if 99.7% of the time you refresh, you don't get one of those bombs, can't miss those bombs in my line of work. So I'm tethered to Twitter. I'm on Facebook increasingly less, although I am on it. I'm on Instagram. I read Reddit, but not as much as I read Twitter, not nearly as much. And then as far as what I pay to subscribe to, I subscribe to The Athletic. I subscribe to Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer website. I subscribe to Peter Vesey's Patreon NBA reporting. I subscribe to WWE Network, which is 10 bucks a month. I'm on the Comcast bundle. I don't know the extent to which people really care about this, but I, when I moved into my apartment that I live in now at the beginning of May, I tried to get Comcast to install in the apartment. They just flat out wouldn't do it. The mechanic came and I don't know, there were holes that needed to be drilled that he didn't want to drill. And he said that they couldn't do it unless they changed the pipes in the building. <laughs> and I, they wouldn't, like, Comcast wouldn't honor, they wouldn't schedule the mechanic to fix the pipes or whatever the guy said they had to do. For They wouldn't even tell me when it would schedule it. They said, we'll call you in 48 to 72 hours. That time came and went. I bothered them through Twitter DMs and they said, we're sorry we didn't call you. We'll call you within 48 to 72 hours. I wound up getting AT&T U-verse installed because I didn't want to wait for Comcast. Sure. And then I wasn't satisfied with AT&T U-verse because the internet ran on the DSL Wi-Fi. And so when Wi-Fi goes down a little, the TV would freeze. Yep. And so I couldn't just, I just couldn't deal with that happening once every two or three days or however much it happened. And so I went into Comcast to return my equipment, read the guy, the riot act. 
And he's like, we will have someone install Comcast for you tomorrow. And so they did. And I switched back from AT&T to Comcast. And then within the Comcast bundle, I also pay for NBA League Pass and MLB Extra Innings. This is my first time. I think I might have subscribed. No, I, what I did last year was I used my parents' MLB.TV password on the, our smart TV. Yep. But, so we've got three TVs, but only one of them is a smart TV, and the smart TV in, is in the living room, which means that if my wife wanted to watch TV and the Brewers were on, someone wasn't watching the Brewers. Gotcha. So this year, instead of doing that again, I just paid the 160 or whatever dollars and got MLB extra innings through Comcast. Okay. So, and then I'm okay. also with NFL Game Pass, which is not the same thing as Sunday Ticket. I think I'm going to keep that for the year because I, I got the seven-day free trial to watch preseason last week, and I think I'm going to keep it because it should be good for me to be able to re-watch old games. Yeah, so I have the uh, the MLB TV package, which I, I think that's like 120 bucks a year. I might be wrong, some somewhere around there. Uh, and the uh, the only difference between that and extra innings really is, besides like not being able to DVR, it is I believe you actually get the local commercials with the MLB extra innings package. Is that is that still true? You do. You can, I can't DVR extra innings in HD on Comcast though because there's one channel. That is like not even a number that you have to go to on the guide. So you have to, to get to MLB Extra Innings in HD, you have to hit channel 450, then scroll down a number, then scroll through a menu of the team. So I could record the games in standard def, but not in HD. And the, the reason that the other reason that I did that instead of doing MLB.tv was because the MLB.tv runs like 30 seconds to a minute behind. And I was finding that the Brewers reporters I was following were putting the play-by-play on Twitter before it was happening. <laughs> and that just drove me crazy. Yeah. I, I, I stay off Twitter when I'm, uh, when I'm dealing with the, uh, the MLB TV. So um, just, just to uh, sort of outline um, how, how, how Ryan and I got started talking today was I, I, uh, I tweeted something out that, uh, that I'd let my, uh, I, you know, at some point I went in and t- turned off the auto renew. Uh, and then uh, I think at the uh, end of July, my, my subscription to the athletic lapsed and uh, I was inclined to just let it lapse. Not for any reason of, I had it problems with the athletic or its business model or the content. Um, I don't have any problem with the content at all. Uh, I just could not get, get into the habit of actually reading the darn thing. Even, even, even honestly with Richard Deitch, I was not habituated uh, to to reading the athletic, and uh, you know, really uh, beyond the occasional link on Twitter that I would click, I never read it at all, and uh, I I just I just didn't see sticking with that because I I didn't think I would uh, I would wind up reading it. Um, my my like typical day, like I I get up very early. I typically get up like at four in the morning, and uh, I'll watch like twenty minutes of the Sports Center from the night before, and then I'll watch you know, uh, sort of a fast forwarded version of quick pitch on MLB. And then I'll watch usually like 20 minutes of good morning football. And that's sort of the morning routine. 
And then, and and then, uh, other than um, recently, you know, trying to trying to squeeze high noon in at around uh, 10 a.m. my time, um, and I, and I have formed that habit. Uh, you know, then all of my uh, all of my TV viewing uh, for sports talk is is the ride home afternoon shows. Uh, and so we can talk about high noon moving and what you what you thought about that. But I was very happy about it because that now just puts all the shows I was watching anyway kind of all into a two-hour block. Um, and, well, and- I was happy about it because it was at the same time as the final hour of the Dan Levitard show with Stugat and The ah. Herd with Colin Coward. Ah. And so at that time, there were three shows that I wanted to be watching or at least wanted to be perusing. And it's moving to a slot where currently FS1 airs first things first rerun and ESPN aired Sports Nation, which by the end of its run, um, you know, I don't want to sound mean, but it wasn't something that I uh, built my schedule around. And now it creates something I want to watch at that time and takes away the conflict. So it was a win-win-win for my personal household. But, uh, you know, there's there's two ways you can look at it. You can see it as a demotion because they the 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 way that that show got billed to that those talents was that they were going to be capturing the first take lead in and they were going to have an hour of time. And I don't think they really got a totally fair shot at trying to build an audience in that time slot because they were not on for the vast majority of the NBA playoffs. They started to hit their stride a little bit. All of a sudden, they're totally off for two weeks <laughs> for Wimbledon yeah. on um, ESPN. And that's, by the way, during the time where LeBron joins the Lakers yep. and DeMarcus Cousins joins the Warriors. And all sorts of things are happening that would have been right in their take wheelhouse. And then when they come back, Stephen A and Max are gone for like three weeks and the ratings in front of them aren't that strong. So, you know, maybe they just kind of got a sense, okay, this isn't so, congruent so with the I, first I, take audience. So I have Go to ahead. tell, I have to tell you, so I, I, I really don't think it's ratings based at all. I mean, I, so um, I don't think that ESPN has some expectation like, wow, sports center is going to do so much better here. But I think that the that the that the thing that they're just just getting around it's it's what I talked about with with the athletic right I couldn't habituate myself to it and I think ESPN is starting to look at the world and seeing you know what people aren't forming new habits and people are used to watching like a sports center at noon they're not used to watching on at least on ESPN an hour long talk show and uh, people are used to watching a half hour long you know sports talk show on ESPN at say uh, 4 p.m. And, and on and uh, i i just think that they just sort of you know i i i do sort of buy into the notion of the people who say that you know norby's trying to uh, consolidate power cuz so many people are saying it i think where there's smoke there's probably some fire uh, but as but as far as uh as well, by far- the way the things that norby's been in charge of have been immensely successful um since he took over sports center for rob king you've seen that the morning sports center that went to get up has really frankly been a disaster for ESPN. The 6 p.m. sports center 
has been up year over year for four straight months in a time where we thought that there would be erosion forever. And by the way, the St. Seal Kevin Nagandi Sports Center show is really good. Yeah, so it's fun. Yep. He's been picking up power, but I think that his decisions have been successful so far. Yeah, but I, I at least know, in this renewed version of Norby. Yeah, I don't think it was you. I think it was actually uh, uh, John Lewis, the the guy who runs uh, Sports Media Watch, who had said. You know, he, he, his, on, on first blush, he, he thought it was, you know, just going back to the, the same old, same old, and he thought it was pretty lazy. And, and I said, I didn't really think that they were being lazy here. I, I actually think it was the experience of, you know, of trying to overcome inertia for a couple of years and going, hey, you know, that, that, that didn't actually work that well. Maybe, maybe we should go back to what we were doing. Uh, and I, I think, I mean, so I just keep thinking that it, it's, it's going to get harder and harder to get people to, to make new habits. Uh, and, and, and in that mode, you know, trying to line up your shows in a way that align with people's existing habits, to me, that makes a ton of sense. Well, his orbit also oversees first take at this point. And like that, that's the, that's the show you can, that and SVP sports center are the two shows that in the last couple of years have been a bit about as big of a studio content success as you can point to for ESPN. Now, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that you can necessarily draw a conclusion that he was out to get Pablo and Bomani because he oh, said I, really I, nice I, things I don't, I don't about so. them in the press release, and I think they're in a better spot for them. Be, being between the jump and highly questionable is a lot more kind of audience synergy than it is coming after first take because stylistically the show's first take and and High Noon are very different because First Take is a kind of testosterone-driven debate, and High Noon is more of a conversation where they take turns trying to make each other laugh. They're not trying to win an argument. And so not that Sports Center is a lot like First Take either, but I, as, as far as the people who are already going to be watching TV when they come on, I think the jumps audience as a lead-in perspective is more ideal. Okay, so 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 let's let's get back to to your habits. So typical day when you're working for the big lead, um, you know what time do you get up? What are you watching? What are you looking at on the internet? How does all that work? Like, are you watching every morning no matter what? Like, there's the, the TV's always on, and you're at least getting you know, a little bit of FS1 and a little bit of ESPN. How how does all that work for you? So I wake up at, you know, probably the first time I wake up is 6.30 or 7 central time when my wife is getting ready for work. And I check to see if I got any messages. Maybe I'll check Twitter really quick to see if something really big popped overnight. And then I'll go back asleep for about an hour At about 8 central time, I'll pick up my phone and really go through the whole last, like, eight hours or however long it's been since I went to bed on Twitter. And maybe I'll get on my computer at, like, 8.15, 8.30. And I usually don't start watching TV until 9 central when Levitard starts, although increasingly lately I've been checking out Get Up just because it's a hot button topic and I feel that I should have an informed opinion on it. But I'd say I generally watch the T 
TV talk shows until about noon or one Eastern. And I don't do usually that much work on weekday afternoons because I'm glued to, to live sports and generally on my computer at least three or four weeknights a week. So my, my day is, it has, it's, it's very different than almost anybody else's schedule, but I have a lot of weekday afternoons off and a lot of weeknights kind of on duty. I see. I see. So, um, um, what, what level of attention would you say? Like, you know, the, the, the 9 a.m. to, to or, uh, the 9 to noon central block of your TV viewing, like what level of attention are you giving the TV during that time? Well, it depends if I'm in my one TV room or my two TV room. <laughs> and if I'm, in two t- if I'm in the two TV room, then I'm actively scouring, looking to build a post off of something that happens on these shows. But if I'm in my one TV room, then it's a lot more passive. How much time would you say, you know, but between all the stuff, the first take, the get up, the, the, the Levitard stuff that you like, the simulcast and, and, and the other ride home shows that you like. And the uh, herd. And the herd. Uh, and, the, and of course, your boss's show. Uh, uh, speak for yourself. In, in between all of that, just the sports talk, not the sports, just the sports talk. How much, how much time a week would you say you spent watching that stuff? Well, I don't know that I watch them every single day. I try to catch every show at least once a week so I have a familiar understanding of what's going on on it. But you is, can't is, watch is, these things every day because they repeat themselves so much, especially in the summer when there's not really any new games for them to form opinions. So, so is that true for all the shows? So, so you try to watch the jump at least once a week and you try to watch first take at least once a week and you try to watch uh, first things first once a week. Yeah. Although with some of, with, with the FS one shows, like especially first things first and undisputed, you don't have to watch them on TV as much because they put, they're really liberal about putting the clips on Twitter and they right. just cross your timeline on your computer and you can just wait for them to cherry pick the best clips for you. And I know ESPN has started to do that more on Twitter and a little bit more on YouTube, but it's I, with FS1, it feels like a much more concentrated strategy that they don't care where you watch it. And ESPN is a lot more cognizant about owning their platform and hoping you see their content there. So uh, maybe the pivot to video wasn't all bad, I guess, if it uh, if it led to you having. Uh, easy... you know, look, here's the thing. I am pro writers and. I'd like to branch out into multimedia in order to amplify my paycheck as I form a household. But I writing is kind of my first love. I like reading a lot. So I don't want any writers to lose their jobs. And I know I'm going to get accused. I had this, this conversation with Deitch on my own podcast a few weeks ago. I know I'm going to get accused of being an FS1 biased person because of where my boss Jason McIntyre works. But from a business perspective, just looking at Fox in a vacuum, the pivot to video was successful for decades, even like maybe back dating back to the late nineties, Fox 
Sports.com lost, on average, about $10 million a year. In the last calendar year, it was profitable because they took all their costs and they put all their focus on the driving engagement towards these undisputed Colin Cowherd and First Things First videos. And there's more money to be made in ad placement being in front of a video than there is in display advertisements on websites. I think the display advertisement model is broken, but I, you know what? It's terrible that everyone at Fox Sports lost their job. That being said, a lot of them wound up at better jobs than the ones they had. Pete Vostelica is at the helm of a very like successful esports e- e- enterprise. Uh, Mike Foss has a good job at YouTube. Rob Perez has become a digital superstar. (laughs) Brett Smiley, who's a friend of mine, founded the website Sports Handle. He got out in front of the gambling Supreme Court decision, and now he's got a real corner covering that beat. Uh, Dieter Kurtenbach is covering the Warriors for the San Jose Mercury News after they got gutted by The Athletic. Mark Pesavanto is now in charge of NFL.com. So a lot of the, the um, now not this, this isn't to say everybody had a very solid landing, but a lot of them, I don't think fell upwards is the right word, but they definitely landed upwards. Yeah, send your hate tweets to Sports Report. That's S P O R T S R A P P O R T. You know, it's 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 hard for me. I mean, so I I, I think you know the 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 transition was difficult uh, from a business perspective. Uh, it's it's easy to see why they did what they did. Um, well, from Deitch's perspective, and one thing that he brought up is, look, they've got the World Cup rights. Like, why don't they have a couple feature writers? who are get, taking you into places nobody else can get to from Russia. How much would that really cost them? Well, why, why couldn't they keep Ken Rosenthal, et cetera, et cetera? And I think that they should have kept a skeleton, bare-bones text content operation at foxsports.com. But I also think that just to put this decision on Jamie Horowitz and think that he made it whimsically and that because he's gone, you can scapegoat him for it. I don't think that that's fair. So uh, talk about how you use the athletic a little bit. So, uh, you know, obviously I, I just, I just wasn't using it. Um, and, you know, I found that I, you know, I would see stuff on other sites first, I guess, a lot of times or, or uh, you know, they, they've gone sort of so wide and so deep you know, there's a lot of stuff on the athletic. I'm just, I'm just not interested in, which is, which is good. And I'm sure, I mean, that's true for ESPN as well. And I'm sure it's part of their model. Um, but, but even for the stuff that I, that I was interested in, I, I found I was just reading it elsewhere more like say San Francisco giants baseball coverage, which I am very interested in. Uh, still the, I, I could never like habituate myself to, uh, the athletic being my first choice for that. Um, are, are they even in Wisconsin or are they, are they just started that? Are they covering the Brewers They, they just started Wisconsin, but the, they hired a guy, Michael Cohen, who's pretty good on the Packers. They hired a guy, Jesse Temple, who is a good Badger feature writer, although like he, he'll take you into kind of what Badger basketball and football players 
are their lives are like, but he's not somebody who, in my opinion, is going to bring me the nitty gritty on um, like matchups for next Saturday against Ohio State and like people to watch and strategy and stuff like that. Uh, the I, I they they did a really good job with their Cubs writer side of Sharma of being like a Brewers fan and being locked into a race with the Cubs. He he does a really good job of covering that team. And they have other people covering the Cubs too that makes it pretty thorough. They're, they're I think frankly that they're better than the Chicago Sun Times and the Chicago Tribune sports sections from the perspective of covering at least the Cubs and the Bears. But in in Wisconsin, the Green Bay Press Gazette and the Wisconsin State Journal and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel all do a really good job of covering the Badgers, Packers, Bucks, and Brewers. So I don't think, like, even if the athletic goes and poaches half of the writers that I read who are doing that, I think that the, especially the Journal Sentinel has just really strong systems. They date back from a sports section to like Bill Dwyer and then like Jim Cohen, who was one of the creators of pardon the interruption and around the horn and cold pizza, which became first take. He was a sports editor at the Milwaukee journal Sentinel Chuck Salaturo, who is a close friend of my father's. He is very influential behind the scenes on first take and now sports center at 6 PM in making sure that their opinions are based in facts. He he was a sports editor of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So they just got like deep rooted systems there that even if they lose people, they regenerate uh, relevance on their beats. So h- how many articles a week would you say that you, you, whether you read the whole thing or not, that you click through to and, and go to either on the, the mobile app or the website for The Athletic? On the athletic, I don't know. The the thing is, is that I I actually I let my subscription expire for a couple months because they they had a friend of mine, Sean Hyken, on the Bulls beat, and right as they went into expansion hyper mode, they cut him off, and that left a bad taste in my mouth. But then they got me back because there would be a few things that I wanted to read and couldn't. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I I don't know how much I read it a week. I'd say I definitely read it a lot in advance of my Chicago television appearances. Because like I said, I think that it's a just easier way to get the information you need than the Tribune and the Sun-Times. Um. I'd say four or five times a week. Oh, you know who else is really good on the athletic? They have really good Warriors coverage with Anthony Slater yep. and Marcus Thompson because that that's kind of essential for for my job, which is like understanding the national sports conversation. And with the Warriors, I think that's where they really maybe do arguably their strongest work. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree with that. So, um, what are what are some other like uh, what what are some new things that you've been considering trying but you haven't tried yet? I guess I'll frame it like that. I want to do more periscopes. I think that that is the future. 
the I mean, it's it's not just the future. It's also the past, which I haven't done a good enough job of capitalizing on, to be honest, because it's almost as if podcasts are becoming obsolete when <laughs> you don't have to leave the the Twitter ecosystem to watch a Periscope. Now, I have a complaint. My big bone to pick with Twitter is that when you're watching a video and you switch into another tab, it doesn't let you keep listening to it. It yeah. stops it. Now, with Periscope, you can open Periscope in a second tab, and it won't mute itself, but that's not true when it's in the timeline. I'd like to do more of that. Uh, didn't didn't you uh, right. didn't you and some other folks uh, whether it was a uh, Kyle or Ty uh, from uh, from the big lead do do some videos during uh, NFL season last year? Didn't I remember seeing stuff like that? Yeah, we've been doing them for a couple of years. I want to really focus on doing them this year. I've said this privately to you, but I would love to somehow, some way, get a job doing Wisconsin sports multimedia, whether that is radio or even maybe in the type of role that Aaron Nagler does for the Milwaukee Journal yeah, Sentinel, yep. where he just he zooms in with Packers opinions and they're very informed and entertaining. And uh, like I just I I can't say enough good things about the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel sports section for like how good of a job they've continued to do covering the teams that I care about. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd like to do multiple periscopes a week this football season and i hope that people hold me accountable to that so uh so that that is interesting i when i asked though originally i was thinking more like uh espn plus or the the bleacher report live or you know those kind of services are you i'm not a big soccer guy i'm not gonna pay extra money just for soccer now Kevin Draper wrote an interesting piece for the New York Times last week that if you are a soccer person, let's say you want to watch every seven hundred fifty dollars a year, seven hundred fifty bucks a year. Although I think that I've got him beat, I've got soccer fans beat with what I'm paying for, but <laughs> just to just to watch all the American sports. But because in, inherent in his calculation was the cable bundle, which I do pay for. And then I also pay for the, as I said, the full sport baseball and NBA packages. So I think I'm up there with soccer fans in my spending, but I'm not looking to pass them with ESPN plus. They're not getting me on there unless they put exclusive Badger games on there and then I'll crawl to them. But <laughs> what, 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 like I just for D UFC fights, um, College football games from conferences I don't care about. Soccer, which I'm sure they have a very compelling soccer package if you're a soccer fan and you need to watch Ronaldo or whatever. But I just there's not enough hours in the day for me to pick that up in addition to the beats that I'm on. And so I don't see myself... and. I'm not a big boxing viewer. It seems like the zone might be getting better boxing fights than ESPN plus, but I don't know what's going to get me there either. The, you, you know, you know what sounds, have to get, I was just going to say that what sounds awesome is the version of the zone in Canada. Cause they, they put like NFL red zone and a whole bunch of other stuff on there. And it's a, it's at a really, it's at a really uh, solid and decent price. Uh, but, uh, but here in the United States, I, 
I don't have any uh, inclination to to sign up for that. So are there are there services out there that like maybe maybe even if they're not sports services, is, is there stuff you're kind of dying to try, but you just don't have the time for whether they're sports or not? Um, no, I think I'm <laughs> kind of. Well, that's the thing is like that the only way to get me onto these packages is going to be to take me to take games that are exclusive Badgers, Packers, Bucks, or Brewers and put them on there. That's not happening with the Brewers or the Packers or the Bucks anytime soon. I don't think it's happening. Yep. At least not to the extent. If it, it's like if they want to make people really mad, then they'll put Bucks or Brewers games on ESPN Plus that supersede the NBA week pass and MLB extra innings. <laughs> that that that'll be a good way for them to really upset a lot of people. But uh, like this, like the you know the you're, you're saying like take 25 games like they're doing on Facebook Live, but uh, make them exclusive to ESPN Plus. Yeah, and make it so you have to pay another package to get them. Right. The, I, I, look, I'm, it, I don't know who ESPN Plus is for. Right now, I think it's for soccer diehards, MMA diehards, and or boxing diehards, and or Ivy League diehards, and the, and the other conferences they have. But if you're not an alum of one of those schools, or you're not like, I have to see every soccer game guy, what are you paying for? Patrick is more bullish on ESPN Plus than I am. And if you want to hear that, go listen to our podcast last week and yeah, the, you can hear yeah, the, the counter to everything that I'm saying. Yeah, the, the, the big league. Well, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm not right at this moment uh, personally ecstatic about ESPN Plus, but I think between the, um, uh, between the fight sports that they're putting on there, right? I mean, so, and now the soccer, um, they're, 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 they're targeting sort of enthusiast bases. And I think, you know, for sort of this first, I don't know, 24 to 36 months of ESPN Plus's existence, you know, figuring out what those things are and how people react to them. Uh, I, I think that's a good way to go. So I, I, we I think that it, we both think that it's kind of a technological trial run for what they eventually do with the Disney over the top service, right? Kind of there. They want to make sure that, they have the kinks worked out here before they really go full throttle on putting all of the Disney and Fox assets together as a Netflix contributor. Well, I mean, if they're doing it as kind of um, su- Disney subsidized research and development, then I can get behind the idea. But I don't think that they're cobbling together a bundle in and of itself that they're going to make more than they spend in the next five years. Uh, I don't think they're concerned with uh, with with making more than they spend right now, and it, or or even or even in that five year window. Uh, but I, I mean, I think it's it's possible that that the ESPN Plus, uh, just as a standalone business, could be a business. But uh, I do suspect that sometime, you know, you know, five years and beyond, that will be when when ESPN has to start thinking about okay can we make just good old fashioned ESPN uh, and ESPN two and ESPN news and whatever they want to put in an SEC network, ACC, can we make the TV product available through an OTT package? Um, 
and 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 yeah i mean i so yes i think everything that's happening with espn plus is is to get ready for when when that day inevitably comes but i do think that that day is at least five years away then if if they're gonna do that not uh, by the way so the disney the, the, the disney ott will be out way before uh way before five years i mean they're talking about uh late next year 2019 but uh as far as a a standalone you could you could buy espn and and get espn without having a cable package Uh, my guess is that's five years out the patrick keeps saying this but eventually the cable package is going to look real attractive when you're cobbling together all of these separate over-the-top entities and realize what they all add up to. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. I'm probably giving the wrong person credit. I'm going to give the credit to uh, Derek Thompson at The Atlantic. Might have been Ben Thompson. It could just be a, a Thompson problem for me. But one of them said, uh, used the phrase, the great rebundling, right? So you got all these little five, four, three, eight, nine, ten dollars $10 services that you're sick of subscribing to. And uh, the only way that people will subscribe to them is when they're all bundled into, you know, like one thirty dollars thing yeah it's (laughs) i'm as someone who's never left cable and really i can't because even if you get youtube tv it's behind the tweets and you're still paying comcast for internet so it's uh i i i don't see the the cable subscriptions going as down as some doom and gloomers might so, so Ryan is. How long any- do you think Neil? How long away do you think Nielsen is from standardizing online engagement re- uh, metrics, or will it be somebody else who does that? Because uh, right now, by, by the all way, of these numbers are self-reported, and it's like you hear some ESPN say this person got 12 million podcast impressions last month, and you see Colin like tweet that he got 10 million last <laughs> month, and. Uh. Uh, yeah, I would like to see Nielsen start putting average minute audiences out for digital audio and video so that we can have some way of comparing them. Yeah. So here's why that's not going to happen. Uh, it's very expensive, that measurement and the uh, the ad sales against that space right now don't actually merit the measurement. Um, right, right. So like, like for Deitch to get to subscribe to that, it's, you know, for the, for the money that he's going to make on his podcast and Bill Simmons too, it's, it's, it's not a scale problem. None, None of these people are at a scale where, where it's worth Nielsen's while. Uh, you know, the advertising market is, is not there to pay for the measurement and, and to, and back to your original question on standardization, I don't think it's a technology problem. So one of the things that doesn't get talked about uh, uh, nearly enough for my taste is that a lot of times where where things seem like they're lagging on measurement, where they're really lagging is is people not agreeing on what to pay for. And that's still a very big problem that doesn't get discussed nearly enough. So there's there's plenty of TV advertisers. They just don't feel like paying TV money for online. And no matter what you tell them, no matter how you say, oh, it's so much better, it's personalized, blah, 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 they, 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 just, they just don't care. And, and so... Um, and, and so you get into these things. Eventually, where... uh, so, well, some of this money going into digital advertising 
I know Amazon is finally coming in and elbowing out some of the Facebook and Google dollars and as far as that goes, but yeah, but that's all that's all progr- that's all programmatic ads though. I mean, so that stuff can be tracked. I mean, to to the degree that that you can get rid of the uh the bots, that you know, the the programmatic ad ad spend stuff that you see everywhere and that's video and text and you know the typical banner ads you see i mean that's most of the digital ad market still i mean and 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 um i think that the the measurement that's in place to service that um if i was paying for it i wouldn't be happy happy with it at all but i i think there's you know there's an acceptance of of le- some acceptance of the legacy there moreover people don't i mean this is i i can't overstate this enough people don't want to pay for measurement a measurement is very expensive and 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 the, the you know the biggest reason like that the, that nielsen doesn't just do a census every night is because a that would be a major major expense b not everyone wants to get measured c nobody will pay for the extra expense like the 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 people who are willing to pay for it aren't willing to pay for that level of measurement. And so the, you, there's always this thing that's at, that's at odds, which is like how the fans want everything to be measured for sort of maximum popularity and, uh, and what Nielsen does. And uh, to Nielsen's credit, like they, they, I think they've tried to embrace all of it, but uh, th- those two things still don't really line up that well. And, and I, 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 I think it's if if you told me that there will be people having similar discussions on podcast thirty years from now, or or whatever the the podcast of the day is, I, I won't be surprised if it's still an issue thirty years from now. I wanna I'm I, I might go through the um, Lexus Nexus jungle and see if I can find um, how ads move from TV, I mean, from radio and newspapers onto television and see what people said about that. Well, but so, but Hey, but see the the problem is this, there's no, there's no question that the dollars have shifted to digital. I mean, the digital dollars are there. I think the question is this, you can get better measurement. And the reason that you don't have better measurement is nobody buyers or sellers are, you know, have, have found the thing that they're willing to pay for yet. Well, it would be nice if there were some type of way that digital ads could get the type of money on print that you used to be able to command in newspapers and magazines. And I don't know that those days will ever be here, but I hope they will. So let me ask you a question. I mean, I, I have an I do you use, first of all, do you use an ad blocker personally? I do not on my new computer. When did you buy your new computer? Three or four months ago. Okay, I well, on the one before. Ad. Okay, now three or four months. That's a that's a that's a healthy sample. So, um, what percentage of the ads do you think? I mean, I'm sure they all make some impression on you. At least that's what the aver- you know the advertising salespeople will say. But how on a scale of 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 one to ten? Uh, 10 being I can completely filter them out and I don't even notice them. And one, I look at every single ad. Wh- where are you in, uh, in ad visibility? I will click on the ads of companies I don't like that are placed. You want them to be charged. Websites that I do like <laughs> so that the companies I don't like will give the websites I do like money. Yep. Yep. So I, I sometimes do that too. Oh, this is going to cost, that's a $3 link. Yep. Let me click that for them. All right. Right. I hope that there are a lot of people out there who do that. That's the best way 
to support your friends in sports media. Yeah, those are the. Uh, by the way, so uh, this has been years. Uh, when I was still doing TV by the numbers, we used to outbrain, and you know, pretty much at, at any point when we were over. I don't know, two, two million page views a month, which wasn't it wasn't wasn't any big deal. That stuff was decent money back in the day. I have no idea how the money works at the big lead other than that my direct deposit hits once a month, <laughs> ideally. Okay, so but, uh, uh, I, I'm sure I will be talking to you a lot in the fall, but between now and Labor Day, what are you most excited about? Besides, besides Wisconsin sports, I know you love the Brewers. I am going to Earth, Wind, and Fire at Ravinia on Friday with my wife and her parents and some of our close friends, and it's going to be at a venue <laughs> where you bring your own picnic. I'm very nice. excited about that. I am so how many how many original members of Earth, Wind, and Fire do you think you'll be seeing? No, no, I plead yeah, ignorance. Yeah, me too. I have to look that up after the podcast. All right, what what else are you excited about? Well, I'm not going to be seeing any of them because we're going to be picnicking and we're going to hear them, but we're not going to be in a spot where we could see them. Gotcha. Um, I am also, I'm going to Northern Wisconsin for my summer camp's 90th reunion. Um, more notable alumni of Camp Nebagaman in Northwestern Wisconsin than I include... <laughs> <laughs> Andy Cohen of Bravo fame, Danny Meyer, who's the founder of Shake Shack and a bunch of the nicest restaurants in New York. Um, Michael Kornheiser, son of Tony and contributor to the Tony Kornheiser show, yep. um, is also an Abagamon alum. He was there at the same time. And Chad Millman, uh, formerly editor-in-chief of ESPN.com and currently head of the Action Network, went there for a few years as a kid. So that's that's your next long-form long piece. There's a good long-form piece in there, I think. <laughs> you think so? I don't know about that. Uh, I'd, I'd read it. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I'm not your audience. <laughs> I, I, w I would definitely read it. All right, Ryan, good to talk to you. All right, have a good one. Talk soon. Thanks again to Ryan for joining the podcast and apologies again to Richard Deitch. And uh, I'm going to try and get uh, Jim Miller on the podcast soon to talk about uh, his latest with Origins and uh, a little bit of sports media chatter. Thanks for listening.